Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, what we're going to do today, we're going to be listening to David Diga Hernandez, and we're going to be listening to a teaching of his on, the, on how to flow with the Holy Spirit. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Just, zoom, right over my head. Uh, so here's the issue, is that uh, what we're going to basically be doing in this episode is we're going to DB, <clears throat> we are going to be, there we go, I had too many... Uh, certain consonants all lined up in a row in my mouth and they stumbled on each other, uh, alas. But uh, we we are going to be looking at the technique that he is using to twist the scripture. And so when you hear a pastor give a how-to sermon, here's the important bit. It's not as if the scriptures don't teach us how to do particular things. It does. But if they're teaching a false doctrine, you're not going to be able to find that doctrine anywhere in Scripture. And the how to do a particular thing is created out of thin air by the false teacher, you know. So you'll see what I mean as we go along. So maybe we should do this. Let's whirl up the desktop and, and get into the program proper. Uh, yeah, latest composition that I posted on Instagram. Recently shot this. I uh, recently took a, a trip to Australia, to, uh, to uh, Sydney, uh, Crescent Head, uh, Kempsey, uh, up to Brisbane, and uh, this is actually shot at Crescent Head in New South Wales. Uh, interesting seascape. And uh, if, again, if you don't follow me on Instagram, uh, my Instagram is dedicated specifically to my photography. And so you, you can see the whole composition there. That's a whole other story. Alas, but that's not why we're here. All right, let's go to David Diga Hernandez. So the name of the video we're going to be listening to a portion of is titled Flowing with the Holy Spirit is easy. <laughs> what is he talking about? Uh, you know, I have no idea what this even means. And the reason why I don't know what it means is not because I don't know my Bible. It's because I do. I know the scriptures very well, and I can't recall a single passage in all of scripture that teaches us steps on how to flow with the Holy Spirit. In fact, let, let me let me show you this. Before the program, I went into my Accordance software, uh, and uh, and I just did a quick search for the word flow, and um, it shows up a few times in Scripture, but it doesn't ever appear in the context of flowing with the Holy Spirit. So, for instance, Leviticus 12, 7, uh, she, uh, and he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from her flow of her blood. Uh, talking about a female thing, a gynecological issue that needs a redemption, if you would. Uh, then you got Numbers 24, verse 7, water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. 
Okay, um, that's not talking about flowing with the Holy Spirit either. Then when we get to, let's see, Deuteronomy 11, and what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, you kind of get the idea. None of these texts have anything to do with flowing with the Holy Spirit. That being the case, we're not dealing with a biblical doctrine, nor are we dealing with a biblical teaching. Instead, what we are dealing with is a doctrine based upon experiences, um, and I would note dubious experiences, especially when we're dealing with a false teacher as dangerous as Diga Hernandez. But uh, the, the issue here is that nowhere in the Bible can you just open up the biblical text and go to the section titled Flowing in the Holy Spirit, and here are the steps to doing so. So everything we're going to be hearing Diga Hernandez do is digging a hole digging a hole of false teaching and deceiving other people through this teaching that has nothing to do with any biblical teaching. In fact, good way to put it is Moses didn't teach anything about flowing in the Holy Spirit. None of the Old Testament prophets taught a thing about flowing in the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't say anything about flowing in the Holy Spirit. And none of the apostles did. So we're dealing with a brand new innovation, if you would, that is not based upon any teaching in Scripture. It's completely not there. As a result of it, when he goes to biblical texts, and he'll look at a few of them, uh, they have nothing to do with the topic at hand. He's twisting them and reading into these texts his flowing doctrine, if you would. And so uh, that that's a, that's a dangerous thing. So as you listen to other teachers out there, if they're going to teach you a how-to sermon, then they had better be able to open up a biblical text and let all of the steps be revealed in God's Word, and he's to be exegeting his God's Word and showing you how God's Word tells you how to do such a thing. So, for instance, uh, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, okay, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then we like to tack on this last bit. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So when Jesus is asked, how should we pray? He says, here's how you do it. When you pray, you say these words. And you'll note that all of those words are found in the Bible, and they're found in Jesus explaining how to pray. So we can, we can have confidence that that is a correct way to pray because Jesus taught us how to pray that way. Diga Hernandez isn't going to be doing that here. In fact, um, I, I, I sped it up just a little bit, not too much so he sounds, you know, really kind of, you know, like one of the chipmunks. And I turned the closed captioning on so you can kind of track with what he's saying. But watch where he goes with this, because this ain't a biblical teaching at all. And his technique 
is one that is used by many a Bible twister. And so when you come across somebody doing this, you can say, "Uh uh-uh, we're dealing with a false teacher. Mark and avoid. Here we go. I want to share with you how to flow with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I just hit the play button and already it's like, come on, are you serious? No passage in scripture says anything about flowing in the Holy Spirit. These are deep spiritual realities that are rarely talked about, but every believer should know how to flow. (laughs) These are deep spiritual realities that no one's talking about. You want to know why no one's been talking about them, like including the apostles and then all the church fathers and all of Christian history for nearly two millennia? It's because it's not in the Bible and pastors are supposed to preach the word and only the word and exegete it correctly. Diga Hernandez here is, uh, he's off-roading at this point. We're, we're off the biblical script where there is no biblical passage that teaches anything about flowing in the Holy Spirit. So let me back this up just a smidge. And uh, here we I go. I want to share with you how to flow with the Holy Spirit. These are deep spiritual realities that are rarely talked about, but every believer should know how to flow with the Holy Spirit, not just in life, but also in ministry, when you're ministering on a platform, when you're ministering in the streets, when you're ministering to a loved one. These are simple, basic biblical principles. Simple, basic biblical principles. How is it a biblical principle if the doctrine in question, the practice in question, isn't even taught or mentioned in scripture? Hmm? That you can apply to your life immediately. And as you begin to apply these truths to your life, you'll begin to see that it's actually quite easy to flow with the Holy Spirit. Look, we come. Oh, it's so easy, yeah. How come the apostles never mentioned anything about it or the prophets? Hmm? In the flesh, we complicate things, but in the spirit, that's where things are simplified. So, Oh, in the spirit, it's all simplified. <clears throat> right out of the chute, we ain't dealing with a biblical doctrine. Number one, you want to flow with the Holy Spirit. Number one, you have to forget about yourself. Ah, yeah. Okay, so no personal grooming <laughs> don't brush your teeth. You got to forget completely. But how much? How much should I forget about myself? You know, to what extent? You know, is personal hygiene still okay? The occasional look in the mirror to make sure I don't have leafy greens in my teeth after I ate a salad. What? What's an okay amount of like n- remembering myself that will not grieve the Holy Spirit so that I can easily flow in the Holy Spirit? You see, when I ask these questions, it becomes obvious that this is completely Looney Tunes, uh, what he's teaching. It isn't a biblical doctrine, nor is this practice that God wants any Christians to be engaging in, because if he did, then it would be in the scripture. In fact, let me let me kind of back that up. Hang on a second here. I'm going to go to the uh, text in question is uh, first second sorry, second Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and listen to what this says. All scripture, all of it, scripture is breathed out by God, that's theonoustos, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Every single one of them, all of them, all the good works that we're supposed to do as Christians, what's going to prepare you to do them? The Bible, okay? That being the case, if flowing in the Holy Spirit were a thing, 
that God the Holy Spirit wanted us to do, then the Bible would equip us to flow in the Holy Spirit. But since the Bible doesn't even mention the practice at all, or yeah, the doctrine even like remotely, or tertiarily, fourthiarily, fifthiarily, whatever, you get the idea. Uh, it's not biblical. So I don't need to be doing this. Coming back, here we go. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about you. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to move in your life or God doesn't want to give you breakthrough. But when you're flowing with the Holy Spirit, sometimes you can become a distraction to you. Well, I mean, this is really practical information based on what? I'm, I'm assuming at this point, this is all just based on his own experience. Sometimes you can be so focused on what you're feeling or not feeling, what you're experiencing or not experiencing, what you desire, what you think. Sometimes you get in your... What I desire is for pastors and teachers in the Christian church to stay within the bounds of scripture. And the reason I desire that is because God has explicitly put it on teachers in Christ's church that they are to preach the word. No more, no less. Uh, you've done more than that here. Your own way. Let me show you something here. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 6, and I want to show you what happened to the prophet when he was initiated in his calling. Okay. Now, Isaiah chapter 6. Immediate question. Is this a passage that has anything to do with flowing in the Holy Spirit? No, not a thing. So what is he using this text for? Well, he's not he's at this point he hasn't he's not going to any doc, uh, passages that teach the doctrine of flowing in the Holy Spirit because he can't. So he's going to be going to step 1. Step 1 has something to do with forgetting about yourself. And so he's going to go to Isaiah 6 to at this point read into it an instance where he claims that Isaiah failed to forget about himself. Yeah, let's take a look at the text in question, shall we? So we'll head over to Isaiah chapter 6. This is the commissioning of the prophet Isaiah. Great passage of scripture. And hang on a second here. Let me make that just a little smaller. There we go. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Adonai, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And I would note here, uh, here, Isaiah sees the same thing that Ezekiel saw, the same thing that the apostle John saw, the throne of Christ. And so keep this in mind, you know, this is, this is uh, what's going on here. And the robe and, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And I would note that there's a difference between cherubim and seraphim. And seraphim is a very um, interesting Hebrew word. Uh, and the reason why I say it's interesting is because it, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's serpentine. Uh, let me let me explain. So in the book of Numbers, you have the account of the children of Israel, and they were grumbling against God and Moses, kind of a common thing that happened in the wilderness wanderings. And so God basically said, fine, I'm going to send fiery serpents into the camp. And so the Hebrew for fiery serpent is, listen to the phrase, nechashim seraphim. Nechashim Seraphim. And so there's a, a, a sense 
in which Seraphine may be a serpentine kind of angelic being? And um, what do you call a, a serpent with wings and feet? A, a, a dragon. Uh, that's what you call it. And so you're going to note here, this text kind of maybe, and I can't say it definitively, because again, the, 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 the serpentine connection here is there, but it's not as strong as you might think. But all of that being said, um, it, this kind of hints at the idea of where Satan came from. He may, in fact, be a fallen seraphim. And uh, that is very interesting. Okay, that means he would have been in the very presence of God. He would have been, you know, he would have had one of these spots with these other seraphim. And, uh, and so that would explain why in the book of Genesis you have a talking serpent that has feet. Because uh, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's Satan, the fallen seraphim. And Satan is referred to throughout the scripture as a dragon. Yeah, yes, especially in the book of Revelation. Uh, I, again, I, I, I digress, but all that being said. So above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another. So here you have the seraphim engaging, if you would, in congregational worship of God uh, in the presence of Christ. And uh, they're calling, what does the text say? To one another, to each other. Okay, uh, maybe this might have implications in regards to congregational worship, uh, you know, in, the, in Christ's church even to this day. But I digress. And so what do they call out? They call out, Kadosh, 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 Yahweh Savaoth, and then um, and then you got uh, you know the 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 whole earth. Um, uh, Melokal Haaretz is what full of his glory, his kavod. All right, so holy, holy, holy is the Lord, is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is what they're singing, what they're calling, and I would note that the the triple Kadosh here, the triple holy legitimately uh, invokes the, the, the Trinity, God being tri-holy, Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, right? Holy, holy, holy. Have you, have you ever heard that uh, hymn, holy, 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 right? Uh, is Lord God Almighty, right? That is based on this. And so here we've got the seraphim crying out, Kadosh, 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 Yahweh, Savaoth. Uh, and so the whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh Savaoth, the Yahweh of armies. And then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So here, Isaiah coming into the presence of the triple holy God, into the throne room of Christ himself, becomes profoundly aware of his own sinfulness. And he says, woe is me, I'm lost. He's undone by the experience, which, by the way, 
is the normal operating procedure when the unholy sinful human being is in the presence of the holy God, especially when he's in his glory. And so you'll note then that what happens is a mercy, and this is very compelling right here, and that is is that one of the seraphim taking a burning coal, burning coal would have been taken from the altar, and uh, and that that's the place where sins are atoned for, right? And it touches his lips, touches his mouth, and then he is made clean, and his sins are atoned for by the fact that a burning coal has touched his mouth. Now, this then has implications regarding the Lord's Supper, okay, you know, in, in the New Covenant, and you because it invokes the death of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And what does Jesus say? Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. It touches your lips. It touches your mouth. And as a result of it, you'll note that the Lord's Supper is a comforting meal when you recognize it is tied back to the crucifixion. And it is for us to our faith to hang on to, to know that we are forgiven. And what does it touch? It touches our lips. It touches our tongue. Things like this. So that's a, an extra insight. Has you know, I'm not going to charge you extra for that, but just wanted to throw that in there. Then, then the the story continues. I heard the voice of of the Lord, and here it's Adonai, not Yahweh, saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" And then I said, "Here I am. Send me." And he said, you go and you say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and Yahweh removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. So this is the commissioning of the prophet Isaiah. Has nothing to do with flowing in the Holy Spirit, but Diga Hernandez here is, is basically going to use this as a proof text for his uh, his first point, and that is, if you want to flow in the Holy Spirit, it's easy, but you need to forget about yourself. And so he's going to use Isaiah here as an example of somebody who forgot to forget about himself, which is not what this text is about at all. Listen to what he does. Isaiah chapter six, beginning at verse number one. It was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. So here already we see the heavenly realm opening. Verse three, they were calling out to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. I love that. And the entire building was filled with smoke. So here we see Isaiah the prophet carrying out his duties. He's being responsible. He's at work for the sake of God's glory. Now it's true. Isaiah was a priest. So he was working in the temple when he saw the heavenly reality in the temple itself. But watch what he does next. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of a seemingly mundane day, the heavens are open. He catches a glimpse of God's glory. God begins to reveal himself to Isaiah in a way he had never seen before. He looks and he sees angelic beings, heavenly hosts. And as they speak, their voices are so powerful 
that the temple is shaken to its foundations. Now, of course, he's frightened by this, but verse five, we see. Right. Why is he frightened? Because he is unholy and sinful in the presence of the, of the holy God and these holy seraphim. See how Isaiah responds. Now imagine this. Here is a man who is witnessing something that is divine. And what is his first response? Well, his first response is often our response whenever we encounter the living God or whenever God is trying to walk us through something. Verse 5. <laughs> um, how many of you have been in the throne room of Christ? Show of hands here. I cannot put my hand up. I have never had an encounter like this. This is not a normative experience. In fact, this is a unique one, a kind of unique, even among those called to be Old Testament prophets. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to expect that, you know, during our life here on earth as Christians, that we're going to be ushered into the throne room of Christ and we're going to have an experience like this. I have no idea what this guy's talking about. This is a descriptive text, not a prescription. Then I said, it's over. It's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. Correct. Isaiah, like you, like me, was a sinner in need of God's forgiveness, mercy, and grace. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I Watch where he's, he's emphasizing here. I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. You notice here that he's very focused on self. I, I. <laughs> Not in a selfish way. He is focused on himself in the way that we're called to focus on ourselves. He recognizes his sinful state and he humbly cries out the truth about himself. He's, this is not arrogance on his part. I, I, he's thinking of his inadequacies. He's right, his sin. That makes us all very inadequate in the presence of God. Probably afraid that he's going to be judged because of those inadequacies. <laughs> Correct. He probably doesn't feel worthy of having this experience. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> he doesn't feel worthy of having this experience? What are you talking about there? Slip that one in, didn't you? Because he is so focused on self, he's not fully able to experience, enjoy, or focus on the heavenly display that's before him. <laughs> what a loon. <laughs> Oh, it, it, where is Isaiah faulted for not being able to enjoy the experience? Do you think that this was specifically for the purpose of Isaiah blissing out in the glory or him to have a soaking session, you know, in, in, in the glory of Jesus in the throne room of God? This is unbelievable. So note here, without any biblical warrant, Diga Hernandez is legitimately faulting Isaiah for feeling the weight of his sin and recognizing his own sinfulness and unworthiness and feeling like he was undone because he was in the presence of the Holy King himself, Jesus Christ, right? The second person of the Trinity. And so we've got a real problem here. Holy smokes. And so you and I often will run into the awareness of our inadequacies. Right. <laughs> um, that's a good thing, by the way. Let me give you a text on that. 
Okay, so for instance, 1 John chapter 1, okay? Uh, an awareness of our inadequacies, uh, inadequacies, okay? Here's what it says in uh, 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Uh, let me give you another text, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, talking about the work of God's law. The purpose of God's law is to make you recognize that you're a sinner. Only having been shown that you are a sinner, do you then feel the weight of your sin, the guilt of it, and recognize that you are unworthy of any of the good things that God has given you, then and only then do you cry out for mercy and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? And in so doing, you go from being merely a sinner to then being declared righteous by grace through faith and trusting in what Christ has done to forgive us of our sins. Romans 3 puts it this way. So what then? Are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all, for we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. That's you and I, by the way. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's what is true about all of us because of our sin. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and so that the whole world may be held accountable to God, for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Romans 3.20 makes it very clear. God's law, its primary purpose, it's not its only purpose, but its primary purpose is to show you and give you a knowledge of your sinfulness. Then and only then are you ready to hear the gospel, the good news that Christ has bled and died for your sins. Uh, let me see if I can find this real quick. I'm going to try to do this from memory, see if I can land on it when we first try. But my photographic memory is getting fuzzy. Uh, let's see here. I don't. I, I landed on it on the first try. Way to go. Whew. <laughs> As I get older, the, the less likely that's going to happen. But uh, here's what it says in Luke 18. And pay attention here. Somebody is really aware of their sinfulness, and another person is completely oblivious to it. And which of the two does Christ then justify? Listen to what it says. Uh, so Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they treated others with contempt. And here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And I would note that in Jesus's day, everyone would, would say, yay, Pharisee, good guy, boo, hiss, tax collector, bad guy, turncoat, Benedict Arnold, traitor to his own, to his own people, right? And so tax collectors are self-aggrandizing sinners, right? We all know that how this parable is supposed to turn out is the Pharisee comes out on top. 
But again, who's aware of his sin and his shortcomings? Let's, let's pay attention. So the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, and what a prayer this is. God, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, the unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. Oh, <clears throat> right. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He probably sprained his elbow, you know, patting himself on the back. What a horrible, miserable prayer that is. Watch what happens next. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And here's an important bit. So uh, so he said, Legon, Hatheos hilasthati, hilasthati moi, Tohamratio. Helasthati is a word that is invoking the sacrifice that's being sacrificed while these men are in the temple. If you know your Mosaic covenant, then you know there are two daily sacrifices that occur. One is in the morning, 9 a.m., the other is at 3 in the afternoon. Uh, which also happens to be uh, those those two times Christ was nailed to the cross at nine in the morning. He died at three in the afternoon. So Christ was nailed to the cross at the time of the morning sacrifice, and he died at the time of the evening sacrifice. But the evening sacrifice went with the evening prayers. And so the tax collector is saying, God, be merciful to me, and he's pointing to the sacrifice that is being performed at that very time in the temple and saying, let that, let that sacrifice be for my sins. That's the whole point of it. Uh, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you this, so note, he, he couldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He stood far off. He beat his own breast. This is a guy fully aware of his shortcomings. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And I would note the warp and woof and the, and the, the flow, <laughs> I, I'll use that term here, the flow of David Digga Hernandez's false teaching here is one that would kind of basically hint at this idea. It's a bad idea. It's a selfish thing to be thinking about your sinfulness and your shortcomings. In other words, that you know, there's there's a there's a way in which this teaching of Digger Hernandez is, is undoing what Christ calls us to do, to humble ourselves and to cry out to God for mercy and recognize our sinfulness, our unworthiness, and our inability to make things right with God on our own steam. So um, yeah, that's that's the that's the other dangerous bit of all of this. But uh, let me bring this back so you can kind of hear it. Experience, enjoy, or focus on the heavenly display that's before him. And so you and I often will run into the awareness of our inadequacies, the constant questions that berate our minds, the doubts that berate our minds, um, even to the point where we're so focused on what we're experiencing that we can break that experience. For example, there have been times when I'm flowing in prayer and I begin to sense physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be flowing in prayer? What are you talking about? Do you need a modium, sir? 
exerts power. Some people report feeling like a wind blows through the room. Sometimes they feel like a heat or electricity. I, at some times, I felt all those things, and other times I feel like I'm wading water, like you can feel like currents or waves flowing through the room. Is he preaching a biblical text? No. Isaiah 6 has nothing to do with what he's talking about. He's, this flowing doctrine, it's not in the scripture. This is all based upon his experiences. And the problem is he's twisting his, the scriptures at this point, which basically says that the, the, the Holy Spirit that he's interacting with isn't the biblical Holy Spirit. It's a counterfeit one. And sometimes I turn my focus from the Lord, from trying to see his heart, from trying to commune with him, to focusing on what I'm experiencing in that moment. And the moment I become more concerned about what I'm experiencing, well, now I've just unplugged from the source of that experience. And so the experience dissipates. So when you're flowing with the Holy Spirit in your life, whether that be as a parent, as a spouse. Again, could you define what it means to flow in the Holy Spirit, sir? And show me from a biblical text this definition. I, I want to know what this means, but you can only show me from a biblical text. I'll bet you you can't, because there isn't one that teaches this doctrine. As a minister, as a business person, as a student, whatever capacity you're feeling, God fills you in that capacity. Let me say that again. Whatever capacity you're feeling, God fills you in that capacity. And so Why are you repeating your own doctrines? Why aren't you exegeting a biblical text? Hmm. So we can flow with the Holy Spirit in our schooling. We can flow with the Holy Spirit. And what does it mean to flow with the Holy Spirit in your schooling? I went through all of my schooling, including both my master's degrees, without flowing in the Holy Spirit for even a second. What are you talking about? Of course, we know this in our preaching, when we're praying for others, when we're evangelizing, when we're ministering, when we're moving in the spiritual gifts. But we can also flow in the Holy Spirit when we're being a spouse. When we're being a parent, when we're being a child or a child to a parent. How, how does one flow in the Holy Spirit as a spouse? I'd like to know. I've been married for 35 years. You'd think I would have, you know, been able to flow in the Holy Spirit in my marriage, but I haven't been. Parents, some of you, of course, watching this are fully grown. And so you're not a child anymore, but you can still be a good son and daughter and flow in the Spirit in that capacity. But in order to do this, you must learn to forget about yourself. Uh, first, first thing, forget about yourself. Sounds very Eastern mysticism kind of talk. When did Jesus say that in order to flow in the Holy Spirit, you're going to need to forget about yourself? Nowhere. Never mentioned it. You must learn to take your eyes off of your inadequacies. Take your eyes off of those things that you think disqualify you. Take your eyes. Uh, my sin does disqualify me. Christ has bled and died for my sins. He qualifies me by virtue of the fact that I'm clothed in his righteousness. By grace, through faith, as a gift. Eyes off of your past. Take your eyes off of how you want things to go, how you think things should go, off of all of the questions that you have. And there's a time for questions, of course. But when you're flowing with the Holy Spirit, you Again, where does the Bible teach flowing in the Holy Spirit? And say these things about it. Have to get out of your own way. Many times we pray, fill me, Holy Spirit. And that's very difficult at moments because we're so full of ourselves. We are so crap. I mean, this sounds so pious. Oh, you need to not be full of yourself so that you can flow in the Holy Spirit. Again, where does the Bible say anything about flowing in the Spirit? Outed in our lives with ourself, with I, with ego, with pride, with doubt, with guilt, with whatever you- And Isaiah wasn't filled with pride when he said that he was sinful and undone. He was humbled by the vision of Christ's throne. 
and you making Isaiah somehow into a self-absorbed person because he was fully aware of his sinfulness is the exact opposite of what actually happened in that text. You want to call it that's preventing you from experiencing the fullness of that flow. That's what blocks us from being able to just flow with the spirit. And again, we complicate these things. We get all tangled up in our own emotions. We get all tangled up within self. I want to flow with the spirit. I want to turn my focus from self to Jesus. I want you to write that in the comment section if that's your prayer. Just write, help me focus. Those three simple words, let that be a public prayer, a public declaration. Help me focus. If that's your prayer, that you want to turn your eyes to Jesus and off of self. Number two, and I think I'm going to spend a little more time on this point than I did on the previous. All right. So where in the scripture does it say to flow in the Holy Spirit? Number one, forget about yourself. And then number two, let's find out what it is. One, because this one gets complicated. Okay. Whatever. It's a complicated one. Okay. All right. Explain. What I'm about to share with you, it's difficult, especially for those who are in public ministry. Okay. All right. You're a preacher. You're a teacher. You have an online ministry, maybe a Bible club at school. Maybe you write or you post things on social. What's the step? media you know in, in, in an attempt to spread the kingdom of god through evangelism well number two is you have to forget about others both <laughs> <laughs> what a load of bovine scatology i mean seriously which biblical text says, here now is the ways in which to flow in the spirit. And you must first learn to forget about yourself, and then you have to forget about others. No, there are no biblical texts for this. This is just a completely made-up doctrine. And this is a false doctrine. And I would note, it falls into a particular category of false doctrine. I'll explain here. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, uh, here's what Paul... Uh, admonishes young pastor Timothy. He was a pastor of a congregation in the city of Ephesus. Uh, here's what he says in chapter 3. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. In other words, a good way to think about it is, is that Paul is pointing Timothy back to the faith once delivered to the saints. Uh, in, in biblical Christianity, antiquity is the gold standard. In biblical Christianity, anything new is garbage. It's it has it's worthless and false. And so Diga Hernandez here is teaching a new doctrine that has no antiquity to it at all. None. Not the apostles, not the prophets, not Jesus, not anybody in the scriptures taught anything about flowing in the spirit. So here Paul is saying, listen, hold fast to what you've learned and, and how you know from childhood, how you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I'll reread this section again. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Again, if if flowing in the Spirit were something we would be supposed to be doing, it would be mentioned in the Bible. So then he says, I charge you then in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Are you ready? Preach the word. Digger Hernandez is not doing that right now. He's twisting it. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, and I always like to add, and is now here, uh, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions 
and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. It is a total myth that Christians are, are supposed to flow in the Holy Spirit. And that in order to flow in the Holy Spirit, step one is to forget about yourself, and step two is to forget about others. This is completely mythology. It's, this is as much mythology as the account of Zeus and Athena and Hercules and Mercury and Mars and Pluto and, uh, and you know, Persephone. And, you know, and you get the idea here. It's, it's, it's all mythology. It's also it's as mythological as prayers to the Virgin Mary and uh, the doctrine of purgatory, completely mythological. Diga Hernandez is a false teacher, somebody who doesn't stand up to the scrutiny of sound biblical doctrine and those who take his teaching and compare it to what God's word says. He should be marked and avoided because he's not sound. He's leading people away from the true Holy Spirit and the real Jesus Christ. So hopefully you found this helpful. If so, all the information on how you can share the video is down below. Uh, and I would like to give a shout out to all of our crew members. You make it possible for us to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And so I again thank you for your support so we can continue to do our work. And if you'd like to join our crew, all the information on how you can join our crew is down below in the description. So until next time, may God richly bless you and the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.